Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Good Grief, a podcast about grief and how we develop, learn and form meaningful traditions around it. Hello, it's me again. My first podcast of uh, 2023. So in this episode, I talk to Mark Richards. So here's a little intro about Mark. He's a creative producer currently based in Portugal. Yes, where he lives with his husband, Joao, and hyper dog, Poppy. Um, I actually caught up with Mark in December 2022, just before his big move from the UK to Portugal. So in this podcast, we are concentrating on loss through absenteeism. So Mark's father was absent through work um, as he was growing up. So Mark is an only child and was born and raised in Southampton by his mother. His father was around, but only every now and then. You'll hear more about that in the podcast, but essentially his father worked away. Mark went to art school in Winchester and Canterbury and also did an MA in European Cultural Planning at DMU in Leicester. He trained to be a painter, as in an artist, not a decorator, for a while, he lived as an artist in a squat in London, was just showing his work from his studio and occasionally teaching. But when he was approaching his 30s, he decided to get himself, a, as he put, a proper job and move into, the, into arts development through local authorities and the Arts Council. He now supports artists as his own artistic practice. As mentioned before, the conversation concentrates on absenteeism, and it was Mark's father that was absent through work. But later, because his parents separated, um, and then his father died in 2021. So this conversation starts with Mark talking about how he felt when his father died. Mark and I share similar experiences with absent fathers, um, but in quite different ways. Uh, although in this podcast, I, I really make an effort to talk about me a lot, um, which was unintentional, um, but it, it happened anyway. And unlike other episodes of this podcast, I, I have shared a lot of my own story in this podcast. It was kind of like group therapy in a way. Even though there are differences in our experiences, there's a lot of things that Mark mentioned that actually moved me so much that I was in tears. Um, You may hear one or two of those moments. Um, Throughout the whole thing, Mark is very open, clear and insightful about the past. Um, But I think maybe for some, just a little bit of a warning here, that this might be a bit of a difficult listen. Having said that, some of his reflections are downright inspiring. So it's well worth a listen. Um, he talks about what he went through at different stages in his life relating to his father, um, grieving the loss of him decades before he died, um, and what it meant for his mother, and also how it affected his own romantic relationships. Um, and lastly, we talk about what it meant for him to come out to his dad and how his father responded to him. Um, So there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity and that kind of thing. So here we go. Here's Mark Richards. Now, when you introduced the idea to do this podcast, I said, well, that'll be over really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I actually thought about it, I was like, oh, no, that's really good. I can really delve into that. Now, what is it that you said, first of all, to introduce the idea to me? Do you remember? I think it was obviously because I knew you were, you know, exploring grief sort of thing. Um, And 
my um, my dad recently died um, last year, and uh, I felt nothing. Right, um, and uh, so it was. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, in a way, the sort of the loss of a parent seems to be the most uh, traumatic thing that people go through in their lifetime that I've experienced with friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that actually, um, and we, you know, we'll come on to talk about the, the, you know, the reasons and everything, but actually it, it, I felt nothing and felt slightly weird that I felt nothing. Okay. So let's go back a bit then. Let's start with early life. So your father wasn't around from birth, was he? So just describe what family life's like from from yeah. year dot, if you can. So um, he, I suppose in the sort of very early years, so the first, I don't know, um, yeah, probably up until I was four or five, something like that. Um, he was working in the UK, uh, working in the oil industry. So it tended to be on either oil rigs or oil refineries in the in the UK. And so would do um, a couple of weeks away and then sort of back for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we then did a, a family status job which was in Canada and so when I was five we moved to Canada and we were there for um, three or four years something like that where it was a family status job and yeah saw my dad every day sort mm-hmm. of thing um, we then uh, returned to the UK when that job finished um, and then he um yeah, started to work in uh, a series of different countries, but mostly in the Middle East. Um, so Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iran, Iraq, um, and Libya was like the, the final sort of job, um, where it would be three months away and three weeks home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our time spent together was always uh, a holiday to some extent, because literally we would go on holiday every time that he had any time off um mostly in europe um but it was very much a sort of beach holiday where he in the sunshine where he needed to relax sort of thing and and um, recuperate um and then he would um yeah then he'd go back so we'd go home and he'd go back to back to his job sort of thing Mm -hmm. so you know in a way our relationship was um uh odd i would say because actually there was an absence in terms of not being together just to do the the day-to-day stuff of being a a parent so in a way i associated my dad with um always having a good time to some extent because it was always like great there's that thing to look forward to where it's partly you know seeing your dad but then also you knew that it was going to be a holiday yeah so before he went away, what was your relationship like with him? Was it just a regular, was it strained? Was it fine? Was it? Um, yeah, I mean, from what I can remember from when I when we were in Canada, I suppose. So that was the only time when it was like a regular thing where you saw your dad every night sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My memory of that was, um, yeah, you know, it was fine. And we do stuff and just normal family stuff. Yeah. And did you did you have any kind of understanding of what it meant for when when he when he did get the job overseas did you really kind of did you go through anything of like oh shit he's going to be going away for a long time i'm i'm yeah, sad about no, that no not not um not really i i, I mean you know my mum I, I don't really remember it that well but i mean my mum talks about obviously we would do lots of going to the airport going to the airport was a big thing that happened very regularly sort mm-hmm. of thing um and of and my mum being upset and me being upset sort of thing so it was very much a sort of weird thing where it was like you'd have these sort of like high points where it was like holiday moments um and then but there was always going to be a, a goodbye for for three months sort yep. of thing that that was sort of coming so I, yeah so it had sort of highs and lows i suppose mm-hmm. but on a regular on a really regular basis um 
I mean, I can remember it's odd because I can remember sort of in my, uh, I, I don't know what age I was, but I imagine sort of like early teens or something like that. And him sort of like, you know, trying to tell me off <laughs> for being, you know, and being that sort of like um, me being a stroppy teenager sort of thing. And me just getting like so cross where I was just like, you've got no right to tell me off. You know, you're not my parents sort of thing. So I think even at that quite an early age, I think obviously the bond with my mum is really strong. Um, but it felt very much like a single parent family a single parent unit yeah um and then you would just have this person who sort of came in what what would that be like four four times a year mm. um and gave you presents and gave you a nice time and then disappeared again so did he just to get a perspective on mm. his point of view did he seem upset when he was leaving did he seem really happy to be home was there a yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose there's two things. Is he sort of when he when he was at home in the family home, then actually he, um, yeah, didn't in a way didn't want to do very much because actually, you know, most of the time he was living, uh, from what I've seen, you know, in terms of photos and stuff, he was living in a porter cabin in the middle of the desert um, with a a group of other men <laughs> they were all doing similar things um and so it was you know it was rough and without the sort of creature comforts and all of that sort of thing so actually just the opportunity to come home and sit in an armchair in a you know a centrally heated house and watch match of the day and <laughs> and have a beer because actually most of the countries he worked in you couldn't drink alcohol and mm -hmm. all of that sort of thing um was his way of sort of like relaxing i suppose and then that being combined with the yeah staying in fancy hotels and being on a sun lounger right okay so how long did that last um all of um yeah it lasted right up until the the point that he left um which and i was about 30 late 20s maybe okay so he was still coming backwards and forwards up and i mean obviously you're not in the family home anymore yep. but he's coming backwards and forwards and staying with your mum and you're seeing him on when he comes back as well no not not really i mean a lot of it you know i was at uni and or working or whatever sort of thing so actually there was you know there wasn't a huge amount of um contact but still the pattern sort of remained where it was um they would go on a holiday uh -huh. <laughs> when he came home sort of thing um and also there was th there'd always been this thing so there'd always been this sort of lot of a lot of talk where it was going to be that uh he would take early retirement so he was sort of gonna retire at sort of 55 something like that um and they were going to uh move abroad so it was always the the ambition sort of thing partly because he just couldn't cope with the cold in the uk anymore because he'd just been you know in the desert sun for like 30 years or something right um that actually yeah they were going to move somewhere warm right um and so in a way that was sort of really a really sort of exciting um option for my mum and something to really look forward to um because in a way it was sort of that thing of like well you know putting up with this slightly weird crap relationship but actually it's a sort of means to an end you know so he you know he's going to earn as much money as he can take early retirement and then we're going to go and live as expats in the sun somewhere right okay and then he just doesn't come back um so i wasn't I wasn't around sort of thing. So he, yeah, he came back on, uh, on one of his trips. They went on holiday. Can't remember where it was. Um, by this time, the holidays had got more exotic. So it's sort of like, you know, Seychelles and St. Lucia and places like that. Very nice. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, but then what I've heard from my mum is at the end of that trip, so when he was due to go back to Libya, um, he said, um, 
I've met someone else um, and uh, I want to be with them and um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come back and I want a divorce. Cool. Have the holiday first, <laughs> then, then deliver the news. Sensible man. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, so went back, um, didn't tell me, uh, and it was about oh, six months to a year, I think, later, um, that my mum eventually told me what had happened. So she, through, and again, this is through talking to her, sort of subsequently through shame, um, uh, couldn't tell me and couldn't tell anyone, actually. Um, which is just devastating because actually she was falling apart and breaking her heart and everything at home while I'm living in a different city um, and mm-hmm. she's sort of hiding that that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so when she did eventually sort of uh, tell me, um, yeah, she was just like, he, you know, he's he's gone. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was really angry, as you can imagine. Uh, partly on her behalf, um, but also just that, um, yeah, disappearing without even the courtesy to pick up the phone or write me a letter or anything that says I'm going to, I'm doing this thing. Yeah. But so what was your relationship like with him at that point when he left? From the impression, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, yeah. the impression I got was that you weren't really communicating no. anyway. No. I mean, it was sort of, um, not that that gives it an excuse, by the way. I'm no, 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 you're not talking anyway. So what does it matter? Yeah. I mean, I mean, y- your your relationship is strained by this point. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was it was strained, but I think there are um, we never had a close relationship. I would say just because of that sort of absence, mm-hmm. um, and so actually a lot of the uh, shared history that you'd have with a parent just through doing stuff together and and shared memories and all of that thing wasn't there. So consequently, I think it was, um, I, I just don't know how well I knew him, mm. actually. I think that's bottom line, is that I think, it, yeah, you sort of go, um, yeah, I just, you know, we didn't have those big chats or big bonding moments or father-son stuff sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So it was just... Um, yeah, someone that occasionally came in and out of your life sort of thing. Um, however, it still felt like it was uh, a slight sort of chickening out, I suppose, on, yeah. on his part in terms of not having the balls to actually even say goodbye, let alone explain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where similarities between you and I, I'm angry with my father for never being there, but also not having the balls now to do anything about it. It's like, he knows I'm here. He lives in the same city. We'll come back to you, which yeah. is not about me. So did you try and contact him at this point? Or is it just like, he's said, right, I want a divorce and that's it. He just stops talking to everybody and that's it. He starts a new life. So I saw him once more. Okay. Um, which was uh, his mother's funeral. Okay. Um, and that he came back for that. So, um, so by this time he's uh, living in the Far East. Okay. Um, with his pa- partner. Okay. Um, and and her um, her kids. Um, and uh, his his parents died sort of thing. Um, and so his mother died first and then his father died with in less than a year after that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So he came back for his mum's funeral. Um, and it was very odd <laughs> because actually in the, in that, in that sort of scenario, obviously it's all about grief and it's like the family mm-hmm. coming together and everyone's crying and you know and, uh, you can imagine um and so he was there for the the actual sort of funeral service and then went sort of thing um i'm not quite sure where he went so whether he went to 
a hotel or whether he flew back or whatever. Um, Did he speak to you? Um, yeah, I mean, we sort of said hello but it was very much a sort of it was about the day so there was no you know there wasn't really a moment to yeah say anything sort Mm -hmm. of thing um and and that was uh i'm trying to think when that was that was only a few years after he sort of went um and then yeah he went and we we never had any any contact so that was 20 plus years okay now i want to talk about that i just want to clarify one thing because i was thought it was quite interesting that you called his mum his mum rather than nan or grandma yeah is that because you didn't have a relationship with them no no, i had really good relationship oh you did with yeah with both his with okay yeah so my grandparents sort of thing okay so that was just a just to, just to explain that yeah, it was yeah. his parents, not, yeah, yeah. not that you yeah. didn't like them. And, and actually, you know, they, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that all his side of the family, so his parents, but then he's got two sisters as well, um, were, well, yeah, completely. So he didn't contact any of them either. <laughs> so it wasn't just me and my mum sort of thing. So he had no contact with any of them either. Um, so he literally just went and didn't um, say no explanation and no goodbyes to anyone. Um, so, of course, his parents were sort of devastated as well, you know, because they just like their son had just basically disappeared or felt like off the face of the earth. Um, uh, and then he turns up at, you know, at the funeral. I think what, I think one of his sisters had got an email address for him for, from somewhere. Um, and so they they sort of uh, found out, yeah, what you know what was going on. So he disappears out of everyone's life. Yeah. And as an only child, you haven't got any siblings to talk to about this about how you feel about it. Did you think? oh, I'll wait till he comes back again, or he'll surely turn up at some point. Did you actively want to chase him? Was it just like, he's gone, that's that? I think it was a a bit of a, he's gone, that's that, but only, I I think, because it was, um, I was quite adamant that actually I wasn't going to do the chasing. And so actually it was like, you know, who's the... I mean, obviously, I was an adult by this point as well, but it's like, who's the adult here and who's at fault here? And actually, who should be reaching out to who? Mm. Um, and the thought of me, like, chasing or, you know, getting a flight to, you know, the Philippines and mm. and, and all of that, I was just like, there's there's no way on earth sort of thing that, you know. So it was a, that was a decision. You're going to send me going now. Um, <laughs> you know, where it was just like, um, I'm not, I'm, oh yeah, I'm not going to um, run after you and try and make this better. It's, mm. it's, it's not, um, yeah. I mean, uh, to, to bring it back to me for a second again, because it's very important <laughs> that we bring it back to me. The, the reason that why that's triggering in a way is it's just, it, I feel exactly the same way as about my dad. It's like, why haven't you? chase me yeah what what is it that's missing from this relationship that you don't want to actually be in contact with me i mean why what's what's wrong here yeah um so did you spend that time waiting or did you spend your time cutting him off and i think i just got on with my life you know in a way i was used to him not being around so it wasn't I, i didn't feel like a sort of massive absence or a massive sort of you know loss um because actually you know it was quite rare that we would see each other anyway and it, you know and that was historic so that would go right back to childhood mm. um and so you know if anything i suppose it made my bond with my mum stronger <laughs> mm. um and you know we we were able to talk about it but also um, and you know me helping her get get over it and you know and sort of like move on with with her life um and you know really try and make the best of it for her because i think 
I mean, when I was talking about the, you know, that plan of them, you know, retiring, mm. um, and it, you know, it's just devastating for me to think about that because actually, in a way, it was like my mum put uh, put her life on hold <laughs> to mm. some extent for the whole duration of their marriage, um, where and it was partly about you know good quality of life and having money and they could go on holidays and they could you know buy a house you know um so you know we started off in a council flat and then by the end of it you know we had a house that, which they'd bought and you know and all that sort of stuff um but at the same time you know she was a sing she, yeah she was a single parent and she was a, a a single woman you know so she never had you know a, a relationship with anyone else both while they were together and since. Mm. So he was, you know, the only one and she's now in her eighties. Um, and, you know, in a way, uh, and got married in their sort of early twenties. So she's had 60 plus years of sort of being on her own with, with a occasional chap that would turn up every three months mm. and take her on holiday. Um, and that sort of, and having that that fantasy to hold on to of, you know, our life will be brilliant where we will be together full time um, in the sun uh, and have, you know, whatever, I don't know, from, you know, 55 until they, they died together. So 30 years or whatever of, of being together 24-7 sort of thing was like pulled, uh, you know, the rug from underneath her sort of thing. Mm. And you just think, uh, it's just devastating, but there, and also knowing that he was in a way having that life with someone else, and you know, the, an extended family. Um, I mean, what well, is you know, without going into too much detail, but it is weird that subsequently we found out that you know, um, the, the, the woman that he was with had, um, I think about five, um, about five kids and then big sort of extended family and everything. So it'd gone from this sort of like very small unit in a way where it was just my mum and me and him. So like the three of us to them being at the heart of this massive extended family sort of thing, um, which, you know, he obviously, you know, loved and, and sort of really enjoyed. Um, but also how long he'd been living a double life. Um, because actually this, you know, this wasn't a sort of, oh, I've just, I've just met someone and it's the sort of start of a relationship and therefore, you know, splitting up with my mum, I think this has been going on for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. So the, while he was in uh, working in Libya, which was for many years, um, the, the woman was working in Libya as well. And so that's, they, so they were together all the time that he was in Libya. Oh, <laughs> so was she from the UK as well? No, so she was from the uh, from the Philippines. Okay, and working as a nurse. Okay, okay, the plot thickens. Um, so you've you've just basically built up resentment resentment for him for the majority of your life, right? Because <laughs> he's not there for the majority of it. I mean, you do get to have those fun times, but it's it's not it's not actually parenting you in any way hence your reaction when you were a teenager and then w he goes and does the dirty and also just cuts ties yeah yeah and i think yeah initially i think yeah i think initially i was really angry um and actually sort of like worked through that so um went in therapy for a bit to talk about it and, you know, just feeling like I needed somebody outside of it uh, rather than talking to my mum about it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I mean, I was fine, but I think it was, it was, I suppose I wanted to explore what was the long-term impact on me in terms of um, having relationships with other people. Um, and actually that sort of, you know, was there a, a, a pattern there, I suppose, in terms of my own insecurities and then all, always thinking that people were going to leave. Okay. 
I'd like to know more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> bringing it back to me, I don't normally do this in the podcast, but the, the, the similarities are quite strong here because whilst I've been to counselling about other stuff in my life, I haven't addressed very well the, the absent father and what that actually means to me, my relationship, and now I've got kids, and what it means for me to be, because I didn't really have a father, so what does that mean? How do I then become a father if I haven't seen, you know, haven't seen a role model that is a father? Obviously, I've seen other fathers, but I haven't had one in the house, and now that what that means and everything else. So obviously, there's a lot of interest for me here as well, but actually, I still carry a lot of sadness about that. Um Almost like I haven't probably grieved about it. I mean, this has come up recently for me in which I haven't been able to speak to somebody. I'm going to try and be vague about this. Um, someone that's related to my father that I spoke to and um, the impact just having that conversation had was massive. I wasn't expecting it. I was mm. like, oh, I'm fine. I'm sorted. I'm an adult. I've got my own life and family and everything's fine. So, and it, it, and it basically told me that I haven't grieved or, yeah, I haven't grieved for that. Like there's almost to me, there's a hope. Now, what's interesting with you and, and why we first discussed to have this podcast was because you didn't have really have an emotional reaction when he died. And I can imagine myself having quite a big emotional reaction when he dies because I haven't done the grief side of things. And it sounds, I mean, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth or mm. anything, but it sounds like maybe that counselling process for you helped you along that grief process of loss of your father. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember how much we talked about it, but it was present, you know, it was present. But I think what we're exploring was the, um, not so much now, but I think in previous relationships, um, of which there was quite a few, um, I think I pushed uh, my, I pushed the limits of my relationship almost like as a test. Okay. And so it was pushing and pushing and pushing until eventually they went, they left. They were like, fuck this. Right. <laughs> um, and... Um, so yeah, it, it was a weird thing of that sort of like that you in a way I suppose your worst fear is that someone is going to leave. Um and then so it's then about testing how strong your relationship is or how strong their love is or whatever. Uh -huh. Um but almost by pushing it to an extent where you know what you're doing is is um unacceptable and they will leave. Mhm. Mm so how did you overcome that? Um, I, th I think it's taken a really long time, you know, uh, and actually um, having, so there was like, a, um, yeah, a, a relationship in that I was sort of in for nearly 20 years. Um, but within that, it was, um, yeah, a lot of that patterns of, sort of testing each other but also in a relationship that was also with someone that was broken to some extent um and because you were trying to fix them or I, fix your father through them uh, no but i think they had their own shit right and um, with their own sort of relationships with their parents and their father and all of that sort of thing so they were a mess as well always the fucking dads always the dads um and uh anyway that that relationship ended um badly um but and weirdly there were really strong parallels and so i sort of found out that the um yeah my partner at the time had been leading a double life um oh shit and um uh yeah i've had another relationship very domestic because they yeah we had to yeah we had a flat and uh, um uh the house that we lived in sort of thing and the, the, and they worked away um so they worked they were absent for uh, the all week 
<laughs> and then would come back at weekends. Um, and then actually the pattern started to be that they weren't coming home at weekends as often. Um, anyway, this went on for a few years. Um, but eventually, yeah, it, when it all sort of like came out sort of thing, then actually, you know, they had a, another partner um, and had been leading a double life. And yeah, eventually when we split up and it was a, a bad separation, um, but within months they were married. Okay. <laughs> um, now that's a therapist's field day, isn't it? <laughs> I want to I want to concentrate on the counselling here because I want to know how that fits in with that. Did you get Did you receive counselling about your your relationships before that relationship, or was it during after, during Yeah, so it was during. Um, it was a long time ago though, um, and so it was sort of like quite early on. Um, yeah, I, I in hindsight I think I picked the wrong type of counsellor actually. <laughs> oh, was it CBT or something? <laughs> no, but it was that sort of, you know, it was very much the sort of, you know, they listen and they don't say anything. Right. Um, and then every time you sort of try and ask a question, they turn it round and go, what do you think sort of thing? But also they were, um, uh, they were getting me to draw because they knew I was um, a, a, an artist sort of thing. And so actually they, you know, were just getting very obsessed and very excited about, what I was drawing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll frame that one. <laughs> yeah. And I was, and I was like, oh, it just wasn't doing what I needed it to do, I think. Right. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, I, I uh, and this is more recent, but I, sub, uh, I went on a couple of um, breathwork retreats. Um, and do you know about the whole breathwork thing where it's, um, it's like uh, a sort of, uh, controlled I can't think of the right wording but it's like a controlled hyperventilating basically mm-hmm. um, but actually it, it's supposed to release trauma okay um, and so I went on two retreats week long retreats doing that and um, bored my eyes out for the whole time wow and so you know it's not really that I mean, it's exploring it a bit, but actually, you know, through this process, it's supposed to be like taking you back to um, uh, childhood and childhood memories and, you know, and all of that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, every every session sort of thing, I was literally just like sobbing, sort of uncontrollably sort of sobbing. And there was massive release in that. And I think that's partly the point yeah. of it um, is actually just that sort of, then there was something very therapeutic about getting the emotion out. So the repressed emotion. So even though it wasn't uh, talking therapy, it was literally a sort of release therapy in terms of just um, letting go, really. And that was really helpful. So was that, just to explore that, because there's no one saying, oh, concentrate on this area of your life Mm -hmm. you're just going in and going okay let's breathe in a certain way yeah and then whatever comes out comes out yeah so but there's no preconceptions from you you're not going in and going right i'm gonna solely think about this while i do these breathing exercises or anything like that No. no so you're not thinking about those things when you're doing that therapy but it comes, do you think it's directly related? Did it, Are you going, okay, I'm, I'm sobbing now and I know it's directly related to this? I don't think it's as specific as that, but I think it is about, uh, um, it's about, re- I suppose, releasing repressed emotions sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, and I think it's sort of that I don't know, it's probably just me, I won't speak for men in general, but it's like, on the one hand, I can sort of, you know, cry it and have, uh, or EastEnders, or, you know, (laughs) something like that. But actually, in terms of proper emotional letting go and crying when it's about me and feeling upset or whatever, just never happens. I never, you know, I never cry it when it's me sort of thing. So I will cry it. Yeah, sentimental rubbish, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and so actually to do something like the breath work, where it was very definitely a sort of, you know, 
proper bawling sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is something you've not experienced since a kid, I'm sure. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, and really sort of um, took me by, by surprise. But it's sort of, I think it, for people that do it, it sort of takes it everyone by surprise because you just go, where where is this coming from? You know. Mm. Um, how did you hear about this? Who? How did you... So it was through uh, um, a friend who had been to some um, sessions um, and uh, which, yeah, which were sort of happening in London. And um, there were some artists that we knew that had also trained to be breathwork facilitators. And so they were running some sessions. And then the friend just said to me, look, they're doing this week long retreat um, in Marrakesh. Um in a beautiful Riyadh sort of thing in Marrakesh, do you want to come? And I'd never done it before. And I was like, yeah, what the hell? We get to go to Marrakesh and experience something new mm. sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like, a, it, well, what started off as a room full of strangers sort of thing. You can imagine by the end of the week, everyone is like incredibly bonded because you've all seen each other covered in snot and crying <laughs> and um you know and sort of consoling each other and stuff so it's intense it's, yeah yeah it's very intense i can imagine so in relation to the podcast would you say that that was that was a, a grieving process for you doing the breath work stuff yeah, yeah. i mean i suppose I, I suppose it was i mean i didn't go into it or necessarily come out of it thinking, oh, that was all to do with my dad sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a, yeah, it was probably a, um, it was a release of lots of stuff. Right. It wasn't just no. specifically no, this, no. it's lots of stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's lots of stuff. Um, however, I think, you know, the, um, it was a release. <laughs> um, and so actually the, uh, you know the 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 point when my dad died, um, and I you know heard through one of my aunts, and she'd seen it on Facebook, <laughs> um, and it because it was a you know Facebook thing where, where it was a, announcing a sort of memorial thing um, in the Philippines um, that uh, I you know I felt nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. Um, But I think it's like, you know, did I do my grieving a long time ago? Mm. You know, so was it something that happened when he left, you know, 25 years ago? Um, And uh, however that sort of manifested itself, you know, I can't sort of say how that manifested itself. Um, so that, yeah, so that actually that sort of, you know, the stereotypical sort of outpouring that you think you're going to have, um, you know, just didn't happen. Um, and, there, and there were, and I suppose there wasn't, I don't know, there wasn't closure in that you didn't get to go to a funeral and you didn't get to say goodbye and blah, blah, blah. But actually I wouldn't have gone anyway. No. You know, even if the invitation was there, I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> See, what I'm finding difficult to get my head around here, and this is only purely selfish again, is that, did you not think at any point, oh, there might be a chance he gets to a certain point and goes, oh, I've I've done it all badly. I should should try harder with Mark and I should come back. Did you not live on that hope? So so his um, wife, because they got married, but his wife uh, did... So she reached out to his sister and sort of said, can you get Mark to contact, you know, um, his dad sort of thing because he's ill and, you know, so he's basically on his way out sort of thing. Um, And so my aunt sent me a a message sort of thing and just sort of said, you know, look, why don't you Skype him or um, phone him or whatever? And I was just like, why? Mm. Why Why would I do that? Was there a part of you once upon a time that would have done that? I don't know. So I can remember the first lot of uh, counselling I had. So they got, uh, so he got me to write a letter to my dad. 
I think it's quite classic sort of things that they yeah. they get you to do. And so it's like write a letter to your dad and say everything that you that you want to say sort uh-huh. of thing. Um, and um, and in that in that letter, um, it was it was again, you know, it was very. It, it wasn't it wasn't that angry and so i can remember the sort of end of it being a sort of um you know i hope you're happy not not in a malicious way <laughs> <laughs> i um, hope you're happy yeah. um but you know it was like you know you've you've did what you felt you needed to do um and um you know and i hope you know i hope you're happy sort of thing so i think that, you know on my part i suppose there was forgiveness there really Mm. um because you know why would you want someone to be trapped in a relationship that they didn't want to be in yeah sure or you know playing at being in a in a relationship just for the sake of um guilt Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so you know i can be really objective about it in that way um and in a way i think it you know i mean it's obviously very sad for my mum but it's it's uh i don't think it was about it, it wasn't about um the relationship failing you know relationships fail all the time <laughs> that's not a new thing i think it was the um if you it was the way that it was done i think and that mm. was what i was angry about in a way more much more than him going because actually you know he'd never been there anyway yeah so you were more angry on your mum's behalf rather yeah. than your own yeah so angry, on my, yeah. So it was partly uh, angry for, on my, yeah, for my mum, but also it was just a respect thing, of just have the balls and the courtesy to just say goodbye for fuck's sake. Yeah, do you know what I mean? You don't have to, didn't have to explain himself or anything, but literally just to say goodbye, and yet taking that sort of coward's way out of just disappearing. And knowing that actually it was going to be my mum that had to tell his parents, my mum that had to tell his sisters, my mum that had to tell me, um, and the the guilt and the shame that that just put onto her, um, rather than him taking any responsibility for it at all. It's so easy to just go, or just literally to disappear. And someone else cleans up the shit behind you. Yeah, so he's made it actually quite easy for you to to let go of him, right? Because he's been an arsehole. Yeah. So you're like, well, piss off, I don't care. <laughs> like, I mean, but that's but that's a hard, that's still a hard thing to do. But I guess if you've had him absent most of your life, then it's a difficult it's difficult to then be like, oh, I actually care now, now that you're removing yourself, because he's already far removed anyway. Yeah. So I guess, like, by the time, yeah, you get to the to the finding out he's dead thing, you're, you're kind of like, well, I, I've done all that. Yeah, no, it, it did feel like that. And it, and it was odd thinking about it, because it, at similar times, so... Um, one of my closest friends lost her mum and just the complete watching her fall apart mm-hmm. um, because they were, you know, really close and everything. And of course I'm sort of touch wood, it doesn't happen for a long time, but I've got that to come with my own mother sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but watching people sort of, yeah, grieving and just the, the impact of where it knocks them sideways for years actually you know it just keeps coming in waves and it it takes them by surprise and just when they think they're over it it floors them again you know and all of that sort mm-hmm. of thing it really and then yeah for me at the same time just sort of because lots of people will ask and go how you know how are you how are you doing <laughs> how are you feeling and i'm like i'm fine you know i just sort of i literally got sent a text message and i just went to work the next day and, and <laughs> you know but I, I didn't know what I was supposed to feel and it did feel like I'd done done it eight years ago but did you did you do grief years ago or did you do I mean did you do grief of a loss of father or did you do grief let me word this correctly did you do grief on never having a father 
Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe the, maybe the could be a bit of both, but yeah, maybe the latter. But um, and I suppose, and it manifested itself as anger rather than sadness. I think it took. I think for me, it was it was um, anger, but as I said, it was more that sort of. It was a lack. It was a lack of respect. It was like, how dare you? You know, it was like, how dare you just think that you can just disappear and not have the courtesy to even acknowledge that I exist? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and then I think the sadness was more for my mum, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a more of an empathetic thing of actually feeling her pain. Um, but, yeah, strange mix of emotions yeah just to concentrate on that anger part a little bit did that anger ever shift into anything else or did it just remain anger i mean i suppose it did shift into forgiveness thinking about writing that letter and all of that sort of thing there must have been a point when it was just like i mean i had no expectation that we would ever be in contact again Obviously, it was a letter that was never sent because it was a, you know, it was an exercise. Um, and I had no intention of sending it, so that wasn't a thing. Um, but, there, you know, there must have been a sort of a, a letting go mm-hmm. in that in that forgiveness where it's just like, okay, you know, I, you, yeah, you just wish that, that someone is happy and has made the right choices and is sort of happy with their life you know so there wasn't a a resentment that's sort of you know festered for 25 years or something like that um i feel like i need to write a letter <laughs> <laughs> which has been told to me on numerous occasions um because what you're what you're going through and what you're talking about is so reminiscent of so many feelings I had, but they're more, see, I've got a bit more of um, the sentiment stuff that you were talking about, you know, easy to cry at um, sentimental stuff on television, but I can easily be the character that's in that television program and cry about my own situation. Um, So this really kind of just comes down to me living in hope that like, because I've never had a relationship with him, that some, some, sometime that magical thing will happen and like i said that thing that when i met one of his relatives who i've known before and we talked about um we talked about his family because he has his own kids and his wife and everything and i saw some photos of him holding a toddler similar age to my toddler devastate absolutely devastating for me obviously thinking that should have either been me or that should have been my son. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting it to be that devastating. And then I realised how much I hadn't got over it. Like the, I haven't had the definitive moment that you're talking about of you're a shit. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I can think about him being a shit. I can think about like, oh, you, you, you have had no responsibility over my life. You've not contributed. You've done nothing. Um, and you don't know what impact that's had on me as a, as a person, just not receiving the love from, from a father that could have easily have given it. He's clearly done it with his other kids. So why not do it for me? So that, that stuff's unresolved because I don't see, I don't see a direct correlation. I know he's been irresponsible, but I don't know what the, the reasons are for that. I'm guessing I'm kind of going, well, maybe there's, you know, it's complicated. Oh, he was young. Oh, there's, you know, there's lots of different things. And, but that's, you know, if I found out now that I had a kid, I mean, I'd probably somewhere else, I'd, I'd definitely try and build that relationship no matter how difficult it was. So, yeah, I think it's letter writing time. (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day, you know, like the way the way I feel about my father 
castle and and how that family dynamic is cast a long shadow on my ability to to have relationships and the way I re- react with them. And you know, over time, I've become more comfortable with certain stuff. But then it dictates what I'm like as a parent myself because of some of the insecurities and um, psychological problems that I have <laughs> um, that then obviously impact the the way my kids are because their experience of a father is is me mm-hmm. and I've got my own problems. So, that's, so you know, it, it, it works its way down and keeps on going. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that will affect how my kids are as parents if they have mm-hmm. kids. You know, they'll, they'll they'll be like, that was my role model. But, I mean, I think there's something about, I don't think that the, um, the, the issue is about the amount of time that a, a parent spends with their child. I think that it's to do with the, um, the quality of the time that they spend together. But the biggest thing, I think, is being able to express love. Mm. and actually when i think about when i think about my dad and you know he was a, a sort of so he was a um as well as you know doing his job um but you know in his youth so to talk about his background so very working class background he was a competition bodybuilder um he was sort of leader of the gang um you know uh literally so had a gang sort of thing wow. in, in that sort of um Teddy boys and you know mods and rockers going and fighting right. and all of that sort of thing that they, they were called the Iron Bridge Gang. Wow! Um, and you know, uh, and uh, talked to me about being in you know knife fights and things like that. You know, and so he was a you know he's a big macho, um, road motorbikes. You know, all of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I think you know there I think there was a um, I mean in a way it's very sweet so if I look at photographs of like him when I was a baby and a toddler you know they're all like very loving you know and you know it's all cuddly photos and blah 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 and then you think something you know I think something shifts where actually uh, as as your child grows up and obviously it was compounded by the, you know him being away and everything but there was something where it's a bit like i don't know now this is a sort of a boy and then a, a young man and a teenager and that and just like how how you interact and still feel that you can express love so that was that, that i think that in a way was more absent i would say than the physical presence of him being there and so the the you know what um the the pain i suppose uh, that you sort of feel is is a sort of um absence of a physical love shit yeah i mean what that really speaks to is the the fact and i'd never considered this before with my own dad that it's actually kind of that forced masculinity stuff going on that that makes it difficult for you to just be available yeah whether that be physically or mentally or in any way it's kind of those those barriers that you've created for yourself well also society has really helped yeah, um, yeah. bolster them but without being able to actually get over those then what do you actually do like i think i've i think we've probably both deconstructed those those things for ourselves yeah and are able to express love yeah and you know you also for me then you know another thing that i really had to sort of deal with was that sort of it it wasn't discussed so i don't know how he felt about this but you imagine coming from that background and being that sort of a man to then find out that your child's gay Um, and, and I came out very early, um, so 16, um, and again, that sort of what that, you know, and, and it was, it was, yeah, it was difficult with my dad, you know, there were a, a few years when it was like very difficult, 
um, because he didn't know how to interact with you. Yeah, and was probably just ashamed and angry and, you know, um, whatever emotions a parent has, particularly a sort of very masculine. Mm. Um, how did he display that to you, though? Was it because he was already absent, right? So, uh, so initially it was very aggressive. <laughs> so, you know, he was threatening to beat me up. Um, uh, and then um, uh, a really weird sort of thing of like, you know, implying it was a phase and sort of doing that sort of like, you know, don't you think that when, you know, all of us blokes are in the porter cabins in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, don't you think it crosses our mind sort of thing? Um, so like it was sort of like something that you sort of did when women weren't around or that you could, when you can't get a woman or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, uh, but very definitely a sort of, this is, this is not real. This is a, this is a phase or something, you know, whatever. Um, uh, and then. Or your dad, dad was gay. <laughs> no, I don't think that. I don't think it's that. Um, but bodybuilder, bodybuilder, leather, leather <laughs> gangs. <laughs> um, uh, but I, and, but I can remember at the time. So you know, this is this is like you know the 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 night of coming out, as it were, sort of thing. Um, but me saying to, well, me shouting back at him when he's like trying to holding me up against a wall. Um, that you know this sounds funny saying it just after what we've just talked about, but me, my response to him was, you love me because of this, you know, it's, it's part of it. Being gay is part of me and, and, and you love me in, in spite of mm -hmm. that, you know, and it's like, it's part of me sort of thing. Um, so, but it took a long time. It took, you know, it took a few years um, of, him trying to sort of get his head around it sort of thing. I think I got to a point where I just felt quite sorry for him, really. I just felt a bit sad mm. um, because it's, you know, it's like he was a coward, mm. <laughs> you know, and there was a, a, a weakness there. Or it was that, you know, the external thing of, you know, just toxic masculinity sort of thing of, of even if he wanted to, he couldn't break something that would allow him to make that first step and sort of reach out. So, you know, so whether it was shame or whether it was pride or whether it was, you know, just being blokey or whatever it might've been, but, you know, there was something until his, you know, until his death, he was never able to do it. Mm. I imagine if, I, I'm kind of thinking that the inability to c communicate about it and the toxic masculinity bit, so the cowardice and the toxic masculinity, they're basically related, right? Mm -hmm. Toxic masculinity doesn't really come about unless you're scared um, yeah. and you've got to put on this bravado of yeah. manliness and, and this outward yeah. aggressiveness. Yeah. Doesn't and and I use aggressiveness in the in the in the loosest term. I don't mean you know necessarily physical or anything, but aggressiveness in in the way you communicate, the way you love, the way you are in the world. Mm -hmm. um, that's got to be triggered by cowardice. Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to really go with that statement, but like, I guess it gives. I, I guess the, the, the for me it gives understanding. For me, it gives me some empathy of like, oh, okay they're not doing it out of malice mm -hmm. or um, or spite or any other kind of emotion. They're actually just crap <laughs> to, dealing oh, with and that's why, you know, that's why I think there's real sadness there when I think about it, because actually you just think you're, for whatever reason, you're just so constrained <laughs> um, and sort of tight and, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, um, you can't break out of this thing. You can't show emotions. You can't, uh, you know, you can't let go. You can't reach out. You can't make it, 
you know you can't be seen to be vulnerable um and you know and you can't express love mm. um and you just think that's just incredibly sad and i think partly why i wrote that you know the letter that and it was sort of forgiveness letter to some extent i was really hoping that actually if it took that move to another country and being in another relationship and starting again to some extent um and another culture completely another culture um and an opportunity to reinvent yourself you know i really hoped that he yeah that was him breaking out of all of the you know constraints that he felt from yeah being within our so micro macro family or the uk or Mm -hmm. you know whatever Mm. um because yeah at the end of the day i mean you know you you, I i hope that he had a you know very happy life okay update for you all um i still haven't written that letter um which is interesting i'm sure you'll all agree um but that whole conversation for me really was like therapy um and it really made me think about my own attitude towards a lot of things and probably the work i need to do um what I found so incredible was how Mark was so forgiving, the way he talks about the letter that he wrote to his dad and how he doesn't begrudge him for so many things. You could easily come away from all of this in a very different place. And Mark's obviously done the work, but I just, it was inspiring to hear from somebody else how he's dealt with this and and how it's in his past for him. And in a way, I wish more people were like him. It's, it's, there's no malice. There's no ill feeling. It, it was just, it, I, yeah, like I say, it was an absolute joy. Um, I don't want to spend too long summing up everything he said. I, I, I think it all speaks for himself. But yeah, maybe in a future podcast, I'll uh, update you all on, on where I'm getting with the whole thing. But um just a like to say a big thank you to Mark again for um, taking part in the podcast. I think it was a really invaluable conversation. So thank you. And uh, speak at you all next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.